0: Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a senior vice president and financial advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So, while we may be conditioned to start saving for the golden years early and often, and even offered incentives like employer sponsored matches or retirement plans with tax benefits, what is less clear is that health care beyond the age of 65 also requires extraordinary planning. Now, the amounts obviously vary by person, although an estimate of the number needed to pay for health care and retirement is kind of one size fits many, and spoiler alert, it's not small. In fact, according to two major financial firms that completed surveys done in 2019, the targeted savings figures for health care and retirement for an average couple in their mid-60s is approximately $285,000 after taxes. Now, that's factoring in many costs not covered by Medicare and doesn't take into account The Astronomical Price of Long-Term Care. And we'll get to that later. Now, I know this is not a Halloween-themed show, so I hope I'm not scaring you too much. But it's a heart-stopping, you know, topic to be sure. But rather than panic, it makes sense to get smart about staying healthy, both physically and fiscally. So today, I thought we would take a deeper dive into getting real about the cost of health care in retirement. So joining the program today to be our tour guide is Ryan Donahue, a nationally known speaker and expert on healthcare costs in retirement for Vanguard, and along with the massive research done by Mercer Health and Benefits, has been giving lectures and today brings his expertise to help us all today. So welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Mitch. So on Financially Speaking, we aim to make things easily digestible, so you can first maybe address a simple way for folks to begin budgeting for healthcare in retirement.
1: Definitely, and thanks for using the word digestible. I think that's a a great word to tackle this tough question of healthcare costs. You threw a number out in that intro there, 285,000. We hear so many massive lump numbers like that. I've heard up to 600, 700,000 dollars in the amount someone might spend on healthcare and food in retirement. And our goal was really to figure out how can we make this a digestible number? It's hard to save for something that's 500,000, $600,000. So what we did at Vanguard is we worked with Mercer, who's one of the top consultants in this area, to get data to show what would that look like from an annual number? How can we break this down and help you save, allocate, budget for these expected expenses, which are gonna be significant, but maybe not as high as these three three digits that we hear about. On one of your past podcasts, you had someone come in and talk about cable cutting. So I'm gonna do a quick example to try to relay this to that. Great, great. So I have Comcast and I pay about $150 a month for Comcast. Let's take inflation out of it and just say, going forward for the next 30 years, I keep that same number, $150 a month for Comcast. What that's saying is that over the next 30 years, I'm gonna spend $54,000 on my cable. Right. How do you save for 54,000? I would cut my cord immediately. Yeah. So how do we think of it from the standpoint of healthcare? And that's, that's great. That's
0: a great analogy. I mean, when you know, I know at the end of the year, even when I look at my American Express bill and I try to, you know, calculate the last 12 months what I've spent on all of these different things, it could be cable, it, you know, it could be food, whatever it is. They're big numbers. So multiply it for a lifetime, it's pretty high.
1: Exactly. So so that's what we did. We budgeted this into an annual number. I'm going to quote this a lot today, so let me start by saying we're going to talk about a 65-year-old female today, and a 2018. We'll use how much we would expect that median person to, to spend on healthcare going forwards, and that number is 5,200. So, five thousand two hundred dollars, the average someone would spend on healthcare 65, and that's going to be enrolled in a Medicare option, which we can talk as we go forward.
0: So there's a lot of factors, obviously, that can increase or decrease costs. So maybe, maybe let's just start off for a bit, you know, talking about lifestyle first.
1: Yeah, definitely, lifestyle is so important. When we talk about lifestyle, we talk about just overall health. Right. Uh, in this paper, and we, we quantified this number to get to that 5,200, we looked at chronic conditions. So chronic conditions, we list 12 of them in the paper, the 12 most popular, and we use them in terms of this cost. But think of things that stick around. Illnesses that stick around. So anything from diabetes to cancer to Alzheimer's to osteoporosis, we list 12 of the most popular. And if you have really more than two of those, we'd put you into a higher category. So one is about the average in the United States. And as you continue to add those, you move from that median, that 5,200, to something that's going to be more expensive in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the United States. What about geography? Where you live in the United States?
1: Huge difference. Yeah. We do it based on zip code. Enormous difference. Maybe not for what you would think it might be. So so Florida, it's a supply and demand issue. Right. more expensive in Florida, generally, depending on the zip code with people retiring down right. there. Right. New York is a little more expensive, Washington. So is, is,
0: it, is it follow the trends that the most expensive places to live in America are going to be the most expensive places to have healthcare in general? Or I mean, you know, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, things like that, D.C.?
1: Not, not necessarily. A lot of it depends on what's available in that system. So what plan is there, whether it be Kaiser on the West Coast might be massive. You see some Blue Cross on other areas. So it really depends on the individual area and the healthcare providers that are in that market.
0: So do you do you see people in some of the research that you've done moving you know from where they maybe brought up their family to a different area because it's just less expensive to retire in that area and again maybe obviously house you know costs of taxes and all that other stuff but as far as specifically healthcare
1: we don't. Yeah, We don't. So we there's, see no, there's
0: nowhere to hide. There's no like, you know, somewhere in Montana, you can just go and it's going to be really cheap or something. No, you, you get what you pay
1: for with yeah. that. And, and we wish that more people would consider that when moving. A lot of people probably didn't know that it might be more expensive depending on that's where you really, That's
0: for. a really good point because a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm heading down to Florida. Oh, everything's going to be cheaper there. But they forget about health care.
1: Definitely. And let me mention another thing. Well, you you mentioned lifestyle. I also want to mention when you turn 65, you enroll in Medicare, taxes is going to be another thing that's going to come up. So higher income, you're going to pay more. What we use there, that 5,200 is somebody that's making a generally a lower amount of income in retirement.
0: And also lifestyle, obviously the younger you are, when you start taking care of yourself, not smoking, you know, not doing all of these things that are just going to make it worse for you obviously that's a big factor.
1: If you smoke, you're automatically in that high risk category.
0: Right. So you're going up
1: significantly. That that 5,200 goes to 6,500 right. annual cost just by picking up those cigarettes. Well,
0: the good news is is, is at least that's that's been cut down, but we mm-hmm. still have, we still have, uh, I was just on a cruise recently that went from Miami out to Nassau just for a couple of days with my wife's family. And they have Diet Coke stations everywhere. And then there's cookies and there's this and that. And I'm just watching all of these people that are Quite frankly, most of the people on the cruise were fairly obese, and they're just like, just drinking all the soda, and I'm just like, my God, you know, and these are young people that are, you know, maybe 30s and 40s, and I'm just thinking, you're going to cost me a lot of money, you know? That Diet Coke costs money then, and it's going to cost them Exactly, retirement as well. so, you know, so it's no wonder then, according to a survey done by the University of Michigan, that nearly 50% of people in their 50s and 60s have little or no confidence that they'll be able to afford costs once they retire. Now, in, in reading this research that you guys did, I, I see you've created kind of a model based on what retired people actually spend on healthcare.
1: Yeah, and our research shows the same thing. It's the number one fear for baby boomers is that they're not gonna be able to pay for healthcare in retirement. So we came up with a model with Mercer where we looked for, we projected forward for the, really the next 60, 70 years, what inflation might look like. For healthcare. And we were able to then take costs today for Medicare, kind of bundle it all together and come up with that annual number and then bake in inflation going forward.
0: Interesting. So let's talk about then some options for choosing coverage around the age of 65 and kind of give everyone a clear understanding of the difference between those scary terms, you know, and we're going to have to bring up the M-words, you know, you got your Medicare, Medigap, Medicaid, Let's just break that down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And and give us a refresher course, you know, 101. So let's, let's put you in the time machine for a second
1: here, Mitch. Let's say that you're 64 years old. So you haven't reached that Medicare. If you choose to retire, I want to make sure that we cover that everyone's aware of how expensive it might be to go out and find insurance on your own before you reach that Medicare age of 65. It's generally we see double. Usually, a minimum double what you would be paying for Medicare to go out and get it on the private market. So that's something to really be wary of. If you're retiring before sixty five, know what the coverage might look like in your market and bake in those those numbers in terms of your budgeting going forward. When you get to sixty five, there's a lot of choices you have. You have to determine if you want to enroll in Medicare, because you're eligible at sixty five, if you're still working, you can keep the plan you're on. You can also go on your your spouse's plan. So you have, A big choice. That 65 is such an instrumental point in terms of figuring out where you're going to go and where you're going to get your medical insurance from. You mentioned Medicare, Mm -hmm. um, definitely something that is extremely popular. There's a lot of choices within it. I don't know if we want to go into that. We could spend hours on the differences. I, I
0: think a couple of the key things to talk about with Medicare, and again, I've dealt with this with older parents is supplemental medicare and that is something that you know apparently my brother who just turned 65 recently was informing me how his phone was blowing up and everyone in the world is trying to get him supplemental medicare and he knew it's a good thing and he researched it but just talk about that specifically and how critical that is
1: yeah so so medicare you have supplemental which is also called you know you have medigap you have medicare advantage there's a lot of different choices and it really depends on your health if you think you're going to be someone in that high risk you might want to take more of that risk off the table by enrolling in something with a higher premium.
0: Mm-hmm. At what age should people start thinking about that supplemental? We think it can be even 5
1: years before you're 65 really? to start really diving in and looking at what is it going to look like when I'm there and mm-hmm. when I'm there having being able to make a knowledgeable decision because you can it can make a big difference which one you choose up front. That 5200 that I quote that is going to be in the most comprehensive medigap program so that's called plan f we use that Mm -hmm. just because it's it covers the most right so it takes the most risk off it's also the most expensive from a premium standpoint i like to think of it little little jargon rule of thumb they call it plan f that's first dollar covered right so if you're going to the doctor's office and you have medigap plan f you're not paying a dollar copay to see that doctor everything is covered you don't pull that wallet out when you go in
0: no that's a big deal that's a big deal All right, so I guess it's time we go there. And by there I mean long term care and as it's better known as kind of the wild card. But I think what would be helpful for us and the way to look at this is talk about the likelihood of people needing it and what are some of the options they have. I mean, obviously this is the hardest to plan for. I mean the statistics just you know, say that 50% of people actually won't need it and pay and 15% may pay up to $250,000. I guess it kind of depends on what happens, you know? Mitch, this is the beast. Yeah. Everything that we've talked
1: about from an annual perspective, let's throw that out the window for this long-term care one. At the same time, as you mentioned, 50% of people will never need this. They'll never pay a dollar out of pocket for long-term
0: care. Because they didn't get the big disease, right? Is that really the reason they didn't get Alzheimer's? They didn't get Parkinson's? They don't have dementia, cancer. I mean, is that typically why?
1: That's a big part of it. A lot of it and, and we'll we'll get to this in a second, but a lot of it doesn't necessarily I don't wanna don't, don't wanna bucket long term care into just sickness. Right. It can be something like continence or just being not being able to function on your own, being right. able to have the strength to get out of bed and move around your house. So I don't want to just bucket it into those, Good. but a lot of those people, it's it's people that, that might've passed away suddenly that didn't need, you know, up to 90 plus days of really care towards the end of their lives.
0: Right. My dad sadly was an example of that in his early eighties and went very quickly and had a long-term care policy, but that was kind of his insurance policy, but never used it. But you just, you know, like you said, you just don't know. So that kind of brings us to what qualifies people to use their long-term care. And the, you know, they call it ADLs, but let's break that down a little bit of what gets people to use their long-term care or kind of the three out of five rule, so to speak.
1: Yeah. So so ADLs, let's describe that for a second. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be the activities of daily living. Right. So these are things that all of us, you know, people that, that live on our own are doing it on a daily basis. It's, it's toileting, it's bathing, it's transferring, which would just be getting out of your bed and moving to a chair. It's continence, It's all of the basic things that you do in your home. The general rule of thumb used is if you can't do two or more of those over a ninety-day period, you'd be a target for long-term care. I want to mention that long-term care doesn't necessarily mean going to a nursing home. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, we show in our paper twenty percent of long-term care is informal. It just means someone needs to take care of you. So,
0: so while we're on that topic, I think let's break this down because this is these are terms that. You know, I never thought about until I was dealing with it with my folks and my in-laws. And you've got your independent living, you've got your assisted living, and then you've got nursing homes. Break those down just, just in very basic terms for people that may have not dealt with it and are looking into that world.
1: Yeah, let's start with the lowest cost, which is also going to be generally the, the most public and will slowly build our way up. So we see the lowest cost being an adult daycare. Mm-hmm. It is what it sounds like. It's right. where you can drop someone off from nine to five, pick them up after work. A lot of people use this for you know, one of their relatives where they can still have them living at home, but they're not there during the day to help them out. So that's the lowest cost. Our national average is about
0: 17,000 a year for them. Mm-hmm. Moves to, to assisted living. What's the quality in that world? It varies or it, is it? It, yeah, it varies yeah. by
1: state. Are you planning on retiring in Alaska? <laughs>
0: isn't on my list. Okay, I'm going warm. <laughs> so so from a cost
1: standpoint, the private insurance, the nursing home in Alaska, can be up to $250,000 or more Okay, a year. So it depends where you are, again, supply and demand. At the same time, if you're retiring in Texas, it can be below $52,000. So we see these very scales, again, doesn't necessarily depend on the
0: quality, but very geographically dependent. So... You start out with that and then you've got independent living. Yep. So we got
1: homemaker services where you have someone, not even a skilled nurse, but someone coming and helping you with your day-to-day, getting you out of bed, helping you with a walker, different things around the house, cleaning for you. We start moving towards like a home health aid. Think of a traveling nurse or someone that has that background that can come and help you more from a healthcare standpoint. Then
0: we move to assisted living. Yeah, that would be that health aid. We have assisted living in a nursing home. Some places have kind of a dual purpose. I know many of the places around here, you can be independent living and then if you need it, you switch over to the assisted living area where you have the 24-hour nursing care. Yeah, and that's where we see it start to get significantly more expensive. Right, um, right, that's where the costs really go up, so.
1: And even, even with that, you have a semi-private room, so think of it more college dorm style, mm-hmm. where you might have more than one person in a room, and then we have private room, which is kind of the mecca, most expensive, most intimate private setting.
0: Right, right. So many of the really chronic health conditions usually manifest in most people from what doctors have told me in the research that I've done in their 50s and 60s, which kind of give them an idea of the future health risk. Is that something that you've found in your studies that, you know, by your 50s or 60s, you kind of know that unfortunately you've got MS or, you know, possibly Parkinson's or something along those lines?
1: Yeah, in the 50s and 60s, you can really like look two places. You can look at your own health and have a good idea how, you, right. how you've been. You can also look at your direct parents, and we use that in our research from a genetic standpoint. What did your parents look like at certain ages and what affected them from a medical standpoint can be a pretty good, accurate predictor as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So what I really think... The key that I want to leave people with today are some steps that they should take now in thinking about planning for annual health care and retirement. I think maybe we could just spend a couple minutes hitting on some of the main ones, even if we've talked about it already, the reviews. Give me maybe the top five or six that people really need to think about today, whether you're you know, a baby boomer like myself at 58 and getting closer, or you're a millennial and not quite on your radar, but it's out there, or even your Gen Z, and you're just worrying about your student loan debt.
1: Yeah, let's, let's start with that 65-year-old. I want to go back to that number just to, yeah. to wrap that into a bow. We mentioned that 5,200, which is your average person. It'd be a great starting place when you're 65. How can you spend 5,200 going forward? And inflation will grow with that. But think of that. We see people trying to bucket low risk, and there's a reason I haven't mentioned low risk, it's not that much less than that medium risk. And if you plan to be healthy and you assume that you're gonna be healthy, if something does go wrong, you're not gonna have things saved. So that's why we use that medium risk. At the worst case scenario, that can be right around $11,000. So it can be much higher as well if you do smoke, if you have two, three, four of those chronic conditions, those are ways to think about it. It can be a lot more than that 5,200. So I wanted to give mm-hmm. you the curves there. Right. That's for somebody 65. A great thing for as young as millennials, all the way down, there are things that we are not seeing as an investment company. We're not seeing people use HSAs. Those are health savings accounts. We right. of the most efficient accounts out there, we don't see the reception we'd expect. And then when people do have HSAs, we don't see the contributions you might expect. And when people are contributing to them, we're not seeing them using it as an investment vehicle. They're mm-hmm. putting cash in there when it's such an efficient account. How can you really beef that up to help yourself when you do need these expenses over the age of 65.
0: Well, I mean, I'll mention at the end of the show, because I mention at every show, that my mantra has always been pay yourself first. And this is a classic example in the health care savings account to be able to do that and put that money away on a tax deferred basis and be able to have money for those expenses throughout the year. And they usually can carry on to the next year exactly Mm -hmm. i'll also mention on the the
1: long-term care we didn't talk about ways to save for it right if we just break it out of how generally people have paid in the past for long-term care over 50 percent is out of pocket so we'd say what can you do for that well you can save you can use an hsa you can use other accounts if you need it spend it there we also see people spending from their home equity. We also see long-term care insurance as an option. And then we have that blanket in the United States of Medicaid, which we didn't get too much in today. I know we mentioned a few mm-hmm. of the other M's, but just know that for those people over the age of 65, there is a parachute that helps out from the government. It might not be, and it's definitely not going to be a private nursing home, but there are pieces in place to help people that might not be able to afford it when They're that 15% of the population that's going to need 250,000 or more for long-term care.
0: And clearly that is a, you know, we don't get into politics on this show, but that's a political hot button that will be coming up in the election next year and certainly is already being discussed by both parties and is something that needs to be looked at. Last thing while we're just, you know, hitting on some of the main ones. So what about it enrolling in Medicare? Is the process gotten easier? It's a tough question.
1: It has gotten easier, but there are also more options. So you have the enrollment period. It's something once you turn 65, you're definitely gonna to wanna to have an idea where you can go from there. There's more options than ever. There's more carriers than ever. So it's something you really need to do your research with, which is a great, you know, somebody like Mitch or someone would be a great person to to kind of start that conversation.
0: Great, well, Ryan, thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom today. And the research that you folks have done at Vanguard is is terrific, and this topic obviously is very critical. And let's face it, folks, healthcare can destroy your wealth. I mean, I just saw a recent survey from Gallup that Americans borrowed an estimated $88 billion to cover healthcare costs last year alone. So it's no wonder that many Americans are worried and kind of need to plan early. And that's really the best thing that you can do. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't yet followed us on Spotify, please do. That's, by the way, their word for subscribing. So you just touch the little follow button. And please let me know what you think. If you have topics you want to hear about, send me a message on LinkedIn or comments or questions. Please do that. I'd like to also give special thanks to the folks at Resonate Recording. And remember, when it comes to saving for anything in your life, especially healthcare costs in retirement, pay yourself first. Have a great week.